Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Don Dalby, who is a certified financial planner, wealth wellness expert, and author of the new book, Live Wealthy, Own Your Worth, Grow Your Wealth. And a side note, wealthy in the book title, Live Wealthy, is W-E-L-L-T-H-Y, And it's something we talk about early on in the podcast here, but this mix of, you know, wellness and actually living a wealthy life financially and how those intersect together. So let's jump into this episode. Without further ado, please welcome in Don Dalby. Don, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Thank you, Brian. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, same here on this end. And and congrats on the uh, the new book launch, right? Just about what, a month and a half ago or so? Yes, April 11th. And I'm telling you, writing a book from front to finish, it took me three years and it's like birthing my third child. So I'm super <laughs> proud of it. So thank you for bringing that up. No, absolutely. I know that's a, that's quite a lift. And uh, how's, how, how's the launch process been being your first book? Like, has that been a learning experience? It has. I think the the biggest learning was really the process and all of the, all of the work that goes behind a book. I have so much respect for authors now and just the process. Um, the launch itself, it's it's really you know if you if you're not a celebrity, it's really about launching it yourself. And, and the hardest part I thought was writing the book and getting it out, but then you go into this whole nother hard you know um, project of of making sure it launches properly and you get it into the right hands because books are so valuable and there's so many of them but you want people to read the wisdom that you've had you know that the author has had um to really transform lives and so the it's a lot of work to launch a book as well what uh well maybe this trend translates to the the wealthy living but like writing the book you said it took three years Mm -hmm. was that a a challenging process for you, like in terms of weaving that into the rest of your life? Like how did, how did you kind of navigate that? Um, well, first of all, I'm a math person as a wealth advisor. So writing is not my forte. What I say I did is I vomited words on paper mm-hmm. and then had the right partners that helped me craft the flow of the book. And the, the book is really about, it's about living wealthy. It's not that I can't spell but I can't really spell that well, but it's living wealthy, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. And it's this combination of really a relationship with money and the technical advice we need with money. It's about building internal personal security and financial security at the same time. So you can live a well life. So it's not just, you know, all my experience of 20 three years of being a wealth advisor, you know, people do need that technical advice on how to build their financial plan, but they also have this relationship with money where you have to teach them how to enjoy and get the most out of their money so they can live a fulfilled life. And that's what the book is. It's about the combination of the technical and psychological advice we all need with our money. Was that a, um, I don't know, kind of like an epiphany that happened one day. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you're taking a shower. It's like this idea pops in your head type thing. Or had you been, has this been something you've been doing for 15, 20 years with that, the wealthy, you know, idea. And now it was just in book form. It was really about, I'm a certified financial planner and helping people build their financial plans and managing their wealth and minimizing their taxes you know, going through that process and finally getting to a place with clients where you're able to share with them that they've arrived at this financial independency, um, where they're like, they're free. 
And then I watched them still have this fearful relationship with money. And so what it really allowed me to do is go, how do we solve both that um, technical advice where they have enough money in the bank? And how do we also show them that they can have a non-fearful relationship with money where they're not going to run out? So it really wasn't where I woke up one day. It was through all of these, you know, I've sat in 10,000 client meetings. And so it's, it's watching the behavior of so many people and realizing that at all wealth levels, whether people are just have no wealth and they're just in their debt or they have multi-million dollar portfolios, we all have, or the majority of us have this fear relationship with money of not having enough. Mm. And so I wanted to start to solve that for people. I'm assuming is that coming from childhood? Like pe most for, people- For all like, of us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Our, it's our parents, how they were trained from their parents. And a lot of the, you know, in our generation, our grandparents lived through the depression or had some type of, you know, or our great grandparents, right? So it's that scarcity mindset that we all learn from a young age. And they say our thoughts about really ourself and our wealth are formed in our informative years, like really early, sometimes by the time we're age six, when we don't even barely know how to tie a shoe, but we've watched this non-verbal communication from our parents and how they do things. And we carry that with us into our adult life. And sometimes no matter what wealth level people are at, they're still in this um, scarcity subconscious mindset that needs to be updated. What are some other, and, and maybe if folks are listening in, is what are what are some other things so you have the scarcity mindset but maybe some other things that people should consider in terms of kind of pulling the layers back on why they could be mm -hmm. i don't want to say poor managers of money but maybe that's the best way to say it or poorly kind of you know investing or what have you are there other things that yeah relate to that you know the the engine to financial success for all of us stems from our income so it's all about how much income we're making and then what are we doing with the income when it comes into the household? And I truly believe that real, like good income, like I'm talking multiple six figure incomes are, are grown from within. So if you're not willing to build your self-esteem and what you think and what you believe about yourself and what's possible in your life, you're always gonna live with a lower income. And so what I teach people is to build, you know, to own their worth, like own all that is them as a human being, the positives and the negatives, because we all have them. I have them too. And, and, and it's really understanding and being aware of who you are as a human being. And so many of us don't know who we are, but when you really fully understand who you are, and then you are able to upgrade how you respond to the shit storms in life. And I'm sorry, I'm swearing here, but the challenges in your life. And when you really figure out that everything's formed from within, then you're able to increase your income and then you're able to increase the opportunity to live a wealthy lifestyle. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, and I think too, it comes back to the, the whole childhood thing. Like I look at when I was younger, the things I learned from my parents. And one of those was, and, and this is not for my parents, I think this is general people I were around was that if you had a lot of money, you were bad in some way, you know, mm -hmm. like money equaled greed equaled, you know, nefarious acts and all yeah. that stuff. And what I realized, obviously, <laughs> you know, when I got into adulthood was that was untrue. 
It was just, so when I did, going back to the income, I wasn't concerned about making more money as I got older. But for a while, it was always like, oh, I don't need to make a lot of money because I don't need it's, a lot of money. It's bad, right? It's bad, yeah. right? Yeah. And that was a mindset I had as a kid. And then ultimately, I had to overcome that. But I'm kind of curious if you hear that a lot. You talk about the scarcity mindset, but you also hear a lot from folks that they don't feel like they need, I don't need a ton of money. But the reality is, it does give we us do. security, we, right? Yeah. With, with the way and the we world do is need money. Days. Yeah. Yes. Um, I actually think, you know, the power and the greed is within all of us. And it just gets a shinier light and a brighter light the more money we have. So it's not that money's bad. And, you know, it's if you really think about it, it's that people like haven't personally grown as how they can be a better human being. So people um, it, it, it's just more obvious when people have more money. And so I think money's awesome. Like there's nothing bad about people. The only thing or there's not, there's nothing bad about money. The only thing bad about money is that people that have it haven't worked on their, their thoughts and their emotions because they haven't healed from the pain of their childhood. And so they're just focusing on the dollar because that's making them feel better about themselves. I mean, there's this huge correlation between worth and wealth. Mm -hmm. And when people finally understand that they're able to arrive at this place where they're valuing their time just as much or even more than their money. And when you get to that point, you're like, holy cow, like, okay, life is not 100% amazing, but life can be so much more amazing for all of us when we when we upgrade our thinking. It's not about money, it's about human beings. Yeah. And what you do with that. Well, and it also comes down, and I'm assuming you coach your, your clients on this as well, it's like, you don't have to go buy the biggest house or the best car or anything like that. And I think a lot of folks do that to cover up a lot of the childhood mm -hmm. issues, right? A lot of the childhood mm -hmm. issues. So they have to more from a status thing. So how kind of maybe that's a good transition or not, but how do you coach some folks? And I, I'm thinking about getting started, right? So if folks are trying to say, I'm not in a good spot right now, let's say they have mm -hmm. some debt, right? And I'm not in a good spot. And you know what? I want to get to a better place. What's like step? one or two that they could take we, we don't yeah. five years down the road yes they have to kind of build but like what's step one or two i actually think it's reverse of what we think it is i you know the person that just has all this debt there's a why behind the why behind the why they have the debt right mm -hmm. so when you think about what the, the first thing they need to do is we need to solve we need to solve what they want they want to get out of debt mm -hmm. so that's the first we need to solve the technical Let's get out of debt first, which you would think would be opposite, right? Brian, you would think we need to solve the why behind the why, and that needs to be solved. But first of all, we need to solve the, the how to, how, how to get rid of this debt. And there's so many ways that you can do that. Um, that needs to happen first. And then once you're in the process of paying down that debt and doing it in a healthy, right way, then we start bringing in the why do you have the debt like let's solve for that because it's all everything's figure outable um as marie forleo says you know we can figure out everything everything has everything can be solved but we gotta lead with what people think they need first right or what they they want first and then once you start solving that then you can peel it back and give them really what they need and this person in debt really needs the inner work as well, but let's solve the first, the technical advice on how, how that's the, oh, let's open the door 
first. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's opposite of what you think. They really need the the behavioral, the financial behavioral advice. And so they don't repeat that action, but let's just solve the, the how first and technically get them out of debt. So then they can start going, oh, let's not repeat that, that pattern again. Is there something, so like for me personally, and I had this, the re reason I ask is I kind of went through this and in, in go, I guess back 08, let's use it 09, right? I was in probably- <laughs> We all did, that was hell, right? Well, but I, you know, I was just coming out of college. I had like, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars of debt, whatever. I even gotten more buying a car the next year. But anyways, uh, what the reason I say that is, it took me. I got debt free, like I think it was twenty seventeen. And the reason I say that, I'm very open about this because some folks think like it's going to be next year, but it's yeah. understanding that it is a long journey, mm -hmm. and it's making the right decisions every day. And it, sometimes it is very difficult. So I'm kind of curious, again, with that starting point of paying down debt, are there things you coach your clients on of like, how did they, is that just, yes, you can make more income and less expenses, right? I mean, there, there's some simple things, but is there anything in terms of like putting budgets together or thinking of, thinking about their um, purchases, anything of that nature that you work with them on that's helpful? Well, that's a really loaded question. I could go in so many <laughs> different directions. Um, that's what we do here. We open the right? uh, can of No, worms. I love it. I love it. Um, I think the, the first thing that I train people on is, is to consider having only 35% of their after tax and after they've committed a percentage of their income to saving for their future. So I call that the real net income, which is after tax and after saving. I, I advise people to have 35% of that real net income in debt. And I think debt, I have debt. I love good, good debt. And if you have more than that 35% of debt and it's bad debt, bad, bad debt is credit card debt. Like things that you've, you know, things that you've purchased on credit that aren't like appreciating. Like I think college student, like student loan debt is actually good debt because you've learned some stuff. Not everyone does. Sometimes we can have bad college debt too. Mm -hmm. because people just go to school and then don't use their degree. And then that's a big freaking waste of time. So, um, I think that the biggest thing is, is, is having good debt and leveraging that. So, um, you know, if they have credit card debt, I, I typically have found in my firm, in my practice in advising people that when you're putting an item, that's not an asset that's going to appreciate clothes, travel, shoes, cars, going out to dinner, like you putting all that on a credit card debt, you're ending up paying at least three times of what you what you thought you were buying that for because you can't afford to do all those things. And so you, you have to ask yourself like, okay, I'm gonna go out to dinner and I'm gonna have a couple cocktails and I'm gonna have a steak and it's gonna cost me $100. Are you willing to pay a $300 for that? Are you will, willing to pay $300 for that shirt? Because if you can't pay it off, that's what you're really paying for that asset. And then you're taking and locking up that money and not allowing that money, that, that interest to work for you versus it, you know, it decreasing in value and you have to work for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so you have to question that. And here's the, here's the interesting thing is that we're all human beings and we all want to freaking live. We want to go out to dinner. We want to buy the shoe. We want to buy the purse. Maybe not you, Brian, but I want to buy the purse. Um, we want to, we want to like do the things you have to prioritize your spending. So what I have people 
also do is go through a core value exercise and create a spending plan, not a budget, but a spending plan in relation to their core values so they can live today. So if you want to go out to dinner and you want to spend $100 on dinner, then do it. But you know what that does it that means then you have to prioritize your values and you can't do x y and z all in the same month but it still allows you to live for today and plan for tomorrow without getting in that credit card debt because credit card debt is horrible if you'll never win in life you'll never control your life you will never be in charge of living wealthy if you're holding on to if you're buying things on credit that aren't appreciating in value You'll never win. You'll never win at life. So that's how I teach people. Um, does, I, I know that was kind of a winded long answer, but that, no, that that's question good. was let, also, yeah. Let me, I'm going to pare down a couple of things I think were really yeah. important. So the 35%, I want to make sure I understand this. Mm -hmm. So 35% of net income. Real net income. Real net income. Could, break that down for us. I want to make sure I, I capture that. The Don Dalby version of real <laughs> net income is after you've paid your taxes. Okay. And after you have committed a percentage of your income to save for your future. Okay. Because when you do that, you actually pay a hell of a lot less in taxes. Now, would you say that, and again, I'm sure this could go in a few different directions, but Folks that let's say they're working a, a salaried position, they have a 401k potentially, are, are you, this is the savings after they would contribute to 401k? Oh, no, or, it'd no, be a no, combination. Be? Okay. So yeah, it would include their 401k contributions. Okay. So let's say someone's an executive and they're working at a company um, and they're saving in their 401k. So many times I feel earlier executives are only putting three or 5% of their money into their 401k. I'm like, wait a second, if you put 10% there, right, then you're, you're paying 30% less in taxes. Like, why would you not do that? And then how do we manipulate the rest of your tax bill to free up your biggest expense in life, which are taxes? And how do you apply that, you know, instead of paying more in taxes, paying more to yourself so you can live for today and plan for tomorrow. But yes, that number includes what you're putting away into your retirement plan at work. Yeah. And plus a lot of companies, if, I mean, if you're at a decent uh, company, they're going to do some sort of 401k match as well that you miss mm -hmm. out on if you don't put in, you know, maybe it's 6% or something like yep. that. So that's something right. definitely. Yeah, to absolutely. What, is there a, when, when you're looking at um, savings then, is there like an amount, maybe, I don't know if it's a ratio to like, hey, if you make $100,000, you should put in X amount per month. I have no idea, mm -hmm. but is there yeah. something there? No, it's a great question. You know, typical, um, Typically, I find people, if they save about 15% of their gross income, they're going to have enough to be financially independent. Now, I have clients that save 30%, mm -hmm. but typically that 30% is on, you know, they're, they're saving a, a annual amount of 30% because they've received a big bonus or something and they're saving more of that bonus. But if you're saving less than 15%, you're typically, you know, you're not going to be able to be financially independent in your sixties, or, I mean, unless you're going to live super, like you don't want to, you don't want to live full. Mm -hmm. However, you know, in today's world too, Brian, 
you know, people aren't, people are redefining retirement. They're not retiring at 55 or 62. Um, because of all of the options we have, we're like, oh my gosh, you can actually make money with, on your passion. You can have a side hustle. You can, you know, you can continue and we're living longer, right? We're healthier. So we're not tired at 55 anymore. And we're like, I want to retire. Like, so, so if people are just putting away 10%, you know, and they, they're going to continue to have earned income or they're physically going out and still making money at 62, then, you know, that 15% can go down. But the, how are you going to know that? The only way you know what the, the magic number is for you is to do a financial plan, like have someone lead you through a financial plan. And then that financial plan aligns your income where you don't oversave or overspend. And that's the biggest thing you don't want to do over. You want an aligned life so you can live free today, guilt-free, and also know you're going to have enough tomorrow. You're not going to know that until you do a financial plan. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. I'm glad you brought that up is how, like, if someone came to you today, a client you're working with, how do you know they're in a bad position financially or vice versa? Yeah. They're in a good position. Are there some key indicators? Yeah, it's, it's basically the, the, the biggest key indicator is we run, we do financial plans on all of our clients, whether they're a hundred percent in debt or they have multi-million dollar portfolios, we're doing financial plans. And what we do is um, the key indicator is really what you're spending per month. Like the biggest question I can ask people, and it's sometimes I get this like, oh, I don't know, yeah. right? It's like, well, you gotta know ballpark. You need to know how much you're spending per month. Because when I know that number, I can back in everything else. Because that financial plan is driven from lifestyle. Like what lifestyle do you want? Do you wanna, like, are you living on $3,000 a month or are you living on $20,000 a month or 50? Like what, what is the number? And that's what drives the financial analysis to go, okay, here's what you need to do. Well, and I found too, when I was talking about like kind of getting out of debt, what I noticed is, is I, my, I kind of live like a minimalist as it is maybe partially, or I, I decided that. But like, as I was making more money, I decided to kind of live at the means of, of earlier income, I guess. So that, you know, allowed me to put more toward my debt. Is that a coaching technique you give or something around that? Like to, because some folks, as you know, right, they make more money. Great. I'm going to go buy the bigger car or I'm going to go buy the, you know, the nicer toys or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and what and you're saying is that you started to make more money and then you still kept your lifestyle. Yes minimalistic. Yes. Um, well, let me ask you this question to answer your question. Are you fulfilled and happy? Are you, are all your needs and wants, not just needs, but all your needs and wants being served at how you're living today currently? Yeah. Yes. Very much so. Okay. And the reason is, is because I, to your, you mentioned a point earlier, which, which I totally agree with is, is I prioritized. Mm -hmm. So for me, as an example, like health and wellness is the most important. So I prioritize, you know, uh, get my CrossFit membership or, you know, I buy athletic greens and I, things that, you know, you, you add up over time. You're like, oh, that's a, you know, Brian, you're paying $90 for athletic greens around a month. Yes, because I believe it helps my body. It's so I can do that because I'm not spending a ton. Let's say maybe I'm not going out at expensive dinners or traveling a ton because those aren't as important for me. So mm -hmm. to your point earlier is I, I made a list a long time ago of like, okay, what do I prioritize? Well, health and wellness was like number one yeah. on there. And that's how I kind of separate, I guess, what I spend on what I don't, you know? 
Yes. And what I would say with that, what you're prioritizing are the things that you value most mm -hmm. comes down to your core values. Yeah. And so what I do is I take people through a core value exercise. So they figure out like yours, health and wellness. And so I advise people to spend 25% mm -hmm. of their real net income on their core values, guilt-free. So Brian, if you know, so you have X amount of dollars of 25% of your real net income that you can go and spend. So if it's shopping at Whole Foods and buying your greens and working out mm -hmm. and, and going to the right club, and that's a value to you, you're gonna be filled up and fulfilled. And that's why you can live at the level you're living at yeah. because you're in aligned with your spending. Yeah. Well, by the way, we, well, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go finish your thought. Cause I wanted to add on to that. I love that. Yeah, write that down. Because I think so many times what we do is we just, we spend our lives in this comparison trap is because our friends are doing it. I should be able to do it. Why can't I go on vacation? And why can't I do this? Or the neighbor drives, you know, past your front door with a brand new BMW. You're like, well, what the hell? Like, am I a loser? Cause I don't have that. But it's like, when you're truly in a line with your values, you're like, shit, I don't care. Like buy the car, buy the boat, like go out to your fancy things because I'm, I'm living in my lane. And, and when people don't know what their lane is then they start this negative comparison. So that's what I wanted to say. So go for it. No, that's a, I mean, that's a great point. I, I love this discussion because, and, and again, this is just my story. I'm kind of sure maybe it's helpful for the audience to kind of listen again, but the reality is I made that. Cause I told you when I growing up, I had bad experience. I saw, you know, parents spending a lot of money on, you know, a lot of credit card debt, all this stuff. I, and I realized, Oh, that's how you live. You throw it on a credit card. Right. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and all, and unfortunately you get a lot of debt. So I made the tough decision and it, it was tough to discipline myself to say, I want to delay gratification for down the road so to get mm -hmm. to a point where I am now, where I feel like I have a lot of financial security. I'm in a good spot. I didn't have that 10 years ago, let's say. So I think it was making decisions for the long term versus I was very short term thinking in the past. Yeah, let mm -hmm. me throw it in the credit card today. I'll take care of it later. I flipped that thinking to say, no, 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 let's make a smarter decision today. So I'm in a better spot tomorrow. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what it comes down to is people, people overspend emotionally because they're not, they're spending on the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And it's just like literally taking a step back and going, okay, here's what I value. Do I value? And if you do value the travel, then go do it for God's sakes. Like as long as you have the income to support it, and it's within that 25% of your real net income, then go do the thing. Yeah. Like live your life. We all wanna live our lives, go do that. But again, it comes down to understanding who you are as a human being. And that's the first step. Yeah. And if you're, if you're like having sleepless nights because, oh my God, I just bought this and I can't, yeah, that, that does not help your well being, right? So it's kind of like figuring out emotionally, how are you able to, um, I guess the best way to say it, right? How are you able to conduct yourself throughout the day? If you're happy and healthy and you feel good, well then keep doing that. Cause obviously you can satisfy mm -hmm. that. Right. But if you're stressed or, out every day, like. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're right. And then the stress just leads to a snowball effect of negative thinking, negative yeah. behavior, not earning the right type of income. But I'm telling you, even at my income level, like I still have guilt with spending. I like nice stuff. Like I just bought a Louis Vuitton purse a month ago and I was like, ugh. Can I afford it? Sure. But do I need it? No. But do I want it? Yeah. So like, how did I prioritize that? And, you know, even at my income level, and I was like, 
you know what? I'm going to figure out a way that I don't have to pay full price for this purse because I don't like to pay full price. Even I like quality, but like how, you know, so how can I use the purse as a business expense and write off some of it, or how can I use whatever I'm doing? Or if I can't use the purse as a business expense, how can I write off other things in my life so I can minimize, it's all about minimizing the tax bill so you can afford the luxury things that you want in life. And so many of us, the government makes it really complicated to figure out how to minimize your taxes so you can have more. And I think that's the technical advice that people also need to understand is that, you know, um, how do you still live at that next level, but do it in a smart way as well? well I guess if we jump on the, the tax train for just a minute, are there mm -hmm. certain things folks are probably, and let's assume if they don't have like a CPA or something like that, let's say they're doing it themselves, or there's things they're probably missing out on. Oh. On, yeah. on, from a tax bill on a year to year basis? Well, first of all, they can't afford to not have a CPA. That's the first thing, get a CPA. Like um, we have them attached, like uh, in my investment firm, uh, we do all of our clients taxes too. Like I do every, we manage their assets. We do their financial plan. We do their taxes. We do everything for a client because it's so vitally important. You can't afford to not have a CPA. So with that said, what are people missing? Um, they're missing their, it, it depends if, if you're an executive or if you're an entrepreneur, you know, the, the misses are different. If you're an executive, it's usually the timing of your bonus and your options, your stock options and how you're the timing of all of your income coming in is a big miss for people. And when they make one decision with their investments that impacts their decision with their taxable income. So executives are different entrepreneurs you know, they're missing even doing a SEP IRA or a simple IRA or an I-401k or a health savings account. They miss like writing off like uh, so many missed um, expenses that they normally have as human beings. They're not writing off their home office or their cars or their maintenance on their cars or their gas or their car washes, or like they're, they just miss all of these amazing write-offs that are available to them. And they just don't think about it. Mm. Um, and you know, or they miss really how they're paying themselves, like in the payroll taxes, there's so many things yeah. like there's so many things. Well, even I, just... I learned when I had, um, I, I started an LLC for just get started. And like you realize mm -hmm. with the hobby law, there's several years you have there to, you know, to utilize where you don't really have to make much right. or any income, but you can write there, there's things there's like that $5,000 you can write off, right? right? Even though you're not making income, you can still use it as a write off. Yeah. yeah. So there are a lot of levers uh, you can pull. You said something about like, like writing off car and gas. Is that even yes. if you don't, even if you don't really drive for your business or how, how does that, how does that work? Do you ever drive? Uh, come on. So we all drive for our business. I would think like, are you ever driving anywhere? I guess I work in, with a lot, <laughs> but are you ever like using your car to go meet anyone to strategize that's, about? That's fair. That's a fair point. Yeah. Okay. I get right? you. Yeah. I guess or I don't think about that. You're driving to the store to get some products to buy your new microphone. That's mm. expensive. You're, you, you, you're using, you're not you as an entrepreneur. I know how your brain works, Brian. You're always thinking and growing. Right. 
right? And so you're, you're using your car. You're, and then not only like I write off 70% of my car, I don't write off the full car, but I write off 70% of it because I, I use third, I hate driving and I'm an entrepreneur too, but when I'm going places, it's, I'm always with a human being that's going to help me grow my business. I'm not just hanging out with someone and talking about, you know, my dogs, right? So, so yes, I write off a portion of my car. I write off a portion of my gas. I write off a portion of my maintenance, the, the car washes, the, all the things related to the car. I, I never considered that. So I appreciate that. This is dude, this is, this let's, is go. let's go. Um, what else are you missing? You're, you're probably missing. Are you a solo? Uh, like, it's just you, you don't have any employees. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, well, obviously you know, the equipment, a- you know, the equipment, that's, that's the big thing. I, you know, it's like, Right yeah, about this equipment right? and you know, you know, it takes to run but, this stuff. <laughs> but also how you're paying yourself. Like you should have an I-401k. Like um, you should be putting your money into a retirement plan, even though you think you can't afford to. I've never, ever in 23 years had someone come back to me and say, oh, that money that you made me save for my future, I can't afford to do with that now. Mm. Never had it happen. Yeah. People it, out of sight, out of mind, and then you pay less in taxes and life is good. Another thing. You don't have to tell me this, but if you're getting a tax refund, Brian, that's a no-no. Okay. Why is okay? that? Because that's money that you could have available to you all 12 months to use for your for saving in your I-401k. Okay. Putting into your, do you have, um, like anything above a $1,000 tax refund is a complete no-no. Like that's a waste of your, you don't have the money the government's in control, not you. Um, let me ask you this. Do you have a high deductible medical plan? Are you, is your, is you, are you married? No. Okay. So you, are you, is your deductible on your medical plan more than $1,400? Yes. Okay. Then you have a, you could put money in a health savings account. Okay. And I do, and Another I do like, that. I do that too. Yeah. So I, so I'm still, I know I, I'm work a full-time job. Um, I'm, I'm in a software sales position. So I'm fortunate to have some of that going in there, which is nice. So that kind of makes yeah. it a little easier for me to, you know, to yeah. kind of separate things, I guess. But yeah, the HSA mm-hmm. stuff has been huge and and obviously in 401k. Um I that the tax refund stuff's interesting because I what's the why why if you did so if someone had a lot more, let's say you said more than a thousand, what yeah. would that mean? Does that mean they're not taking out enough in the during the year then or what what's the indicator there it means they're taking out too much during the year so what they're doing is they're yes they're they're claiming too much tax and so what i always do is like if someone's getting a four thousand dollar refund i just i have a threshold of a thousand because we can't predict we we can't get to the penny with our tax um refund but so you take three thousand of the four thousand divided by twelve that's $250 extra a month that that person should have in their pocket Oh, okay. to do whatever with, to live, to pay their debt. Yeah. Huh. They're paying interest on their debt, right? Let's be real. The interest is not, the government's not giving you an interest-free loan, right? They're using your money all year. Yeah, that's fair. What, is that a change in the deduction, like the, um, how many are, how many people you're claiming on your W4? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And it's a game to play. So like in this instance, it's 250 a month. So a lot of people aren't paid to like once a month. So if you're paid 
every two weeks, then it's 115 a paycheck. So what you would do then is go into your W-4, go into your, you know, your um, benefits and look to see what you're claiming and increase it by one. And then look, am I getting 115 back on my paycheck? Is my, my, is my paycheck $115 higher? No, it's only 70. Well then increase it again to like increase your, your, what you're claiming another person, you know, you can claim up to 99 people. So you just got to get what's right for you. So you, you almost break even on your taxes. Okay. That's a good, yeah, I like that. That's yeah. a good point. Uh, speaking of claiming people and, and maybe, you know, children, let's talk about for a minute if we can. I'm mm -hmm. you, Now you mentioned you have a couple of kids. I do. So I have a 18 and almost 18 and almost a 19 year old, two daughters. Oh, perfect. <laughs> this is, this is great. Perfect. And I have almost 11 year old. So this is maybe okay. a good discussion. We can kind of, um, you know, turn the corner toward the finish line on, um, how did, how did, let's maybe first start this question. How did you talk to your kids about money as they grew up? Um, they don't listen to me. Okay. So how <laughs> I talk to them is nonverbal when they were kids. I showed them that, that there's enough, that's, there's enough money for them to live all of the things they want to do. We just have to prioritize. Mm -hmm. Um, very positive with money when they got older. I put money, a, a lot of money every week on their, on their debit card and I let them fail. So when I would get a call, I'm like, mommy, my car got declined at Starbucks. I'm like, oh, well, like you gotta be a better planner. I'm sorry. And they would hang up on me and I would laugh, you know, behind the scenes. I'm like, that's how they learn. They fit. That's how we learn to walk. We get, we fall, we get back up. So let them fail as teenagers. Um, I think that's super important. Like, but it, it's the earlier on, it's the mindset messaging, the nonverbal communication. And then it's like, give them some control, especially, oh my gosh, you have 11 year old. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's probably really hormonal right now. And nasty. Well, it's a he, it's a he. So, oh, it's well, a he, he but okay, yeah, he so, probably is too. He's getting there. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not quite yet, but let them, they, the, the, the whole point of 11, 12 to 18, they're trying to become their own human beings and you gotta let them fail and you gotta let them grow. So you gotta give them, they, you know, they can make money. Like, I don't believe in paying kids to do chores around their, on the house. Like, I believe it's their, they have a bed to sleep in and food provided. Like it's their job to do, like we have our kids do their own laundry. Is our laundry room a hot freaking mess? Oh my God, yes, because there's piles of crap all over the place. But it's their job to do their own stuff. And when their room's a hot mess, it's okay. We just shut the doors because that's how they choose to live. But you want to give them, you know, you want to get them in a place where they're making their own decisions and failing because the consequence at 11 is way less than it is at 21. Well, I find that, you know, because schools aren't teaching financial literacy at all. So no. it's kind of like the parents have to do some. And, and this is, I guess, goes back to probably what you deal with with your clients is if the if the parents aren't handling their money well, that's going to trickle down to the next mm -hmm. generation of their kids. Right. You know? Yeah. But but here the reality is, is that my kids don't listen to me. I mean, they do, but they don't show that they do. So let's be real. They are listening mm -hmm. and they are watching because we know that they pick up our behaviors from a young age. Mm -hmm. So they are listening and they are watching. But when I try to say, okay, girls, you're going to have a, like, we're going to sit down and do a money class. And they're like, it never happens in our household. Let's be real. So how I teach them a couple of different ways. 
I'm lucky enough to have my own podcast and I brought my daughter on last week because I wanted oh. to teach her some stuff. Nice. She's um, in her, she's going to sec, she's just moving out of the house, um, second year of college. Um, and I want to teach her some stuff. And I knew she'd listen to me on the podcast because when she wasn't, I mean, I repeated it back. I'm like here, you know, so I made her listen to me on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Like what is the number one through five rule that we have no credit card debt. And I made her repeat it to me a hundred times. So she listened on the podcast because she knew she was on camera. Um, the other thing is, is I have other people in my life that I respect. I'm a wealth advisor and I have, I employ other wealth advisors in my firm. So my kids look up to one of the Nadine, who's a wealth advisor in my firm, and I'm having her teach my kids because I know they respect her because she's cooler than me mm -hmm. and way younger than me. Um, so I want to teach my kids because they need to learn, especially, um, especially at 18 and 19 right now, I think, I think it's more important in the earlier years of teaching the kids zero through six. And then at 18 on like you're in this sweet spot, let them fail, let yeah. them, let them fail, but give them opportunity, give them opportunity to fail. Um, but now is like, it's the reality of i want you guys out of the nest and really understanding how money works so i i put other people in their life to teach them that did with the uh you said your daughter was in the podcast was there any curious questions that she had anything specific that you'd share yeah it was really like now that i'm leaving like what do i really need to know about money and it was you know i i did 10 strategies on what she needs to know about money and she really wanted to know like how can um, how can she develop credit without, you know, she has to develop credit. I'm like, do you want to buy a car someday? Do you want to buy a house? You can't, you're not going to pay cash for a house. So you need to build like credit up. So you get the best interest rate and the best payment plans. Uh, but how do you do that without this horrible risk of falling into debt? Yeah. Um, and so we talked about that. Like you can, you can, you can be a co-signer on my card, but honestly, my oldest, I don't want her a co-signer on my car because she loves to shop and I don't want that. I don't want to have that argument. So we're going to, what I'm going to do for her is we're going to open up a secured credit card where she puts a deposit on the credit card. Like she'll put a thousand dollars in and then she can have a thousand dollars to spend over the next umpteen months um, because it's no risk for her. And as, as long as she pays that on time and pays the full amount off, then she's building her credit. I just want to clarify something. Um, when you're talking about no credit card debt, are you a proponent though of if you're going to pay the credit card off month every month, it's definitely valuable. Well, it's not debt it. then. It's right, not exactly, debt. Exactly. Yeah. Just to be yeah. clear, because I know some folks hear that and they're like, oh, because I because I've talked with folks where they like they just have their debit card, like they'll buy something with, and I and I kind of asked them. I said, why don't you have a credit card if you can pay it off every month? Like you're you can get a, you know, the, the companies pay you a lot of money in terms of if you pay it off each month, just because of like points and what have you, because some folks don't think about that. But I guess that's a good practice if you do have some challenges with money is to use a debit right. card. But, and I think that that advice you gave out is great for a 30 year old, or maybe even a late 20 year old, not necessarily an 18 year old, Yeah, you know, um, because they got it, it's it, again, you said something earlier, Brian, and it made me think like, you kind of repeated some of the patterns of your of your parents. Absolutely. I've I've repeated parent patterns of my parents. 
And we want these kids because the, the brain is like a, the subconscious brain is a, a, a loop and we want them to get in these good habits before we open the door up to these other, like start with debit. Don't get a credit card because of the points. Oh my God, who cares? You, you know what I mean? That just, that's a danger zone for 20 year olds. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, when you're in your thirties, then get, yeah. That or 20, if you're depends if you're responsible, like women are in their twenties, <laughs> um, you know, it just depends when you're responsible enough to pay that off. Cause even I got into that issue, even as a financial advisor, when I was in my, well, I didn't start till I was in my thirties, but it's like, Ooh, I want more. And how do I do this? And how do I manipulate that? And it's like the point game is exactly there to destroy you if you're not smart. Well, and the, at least I learned this lesson the hard way is the credit card companies, they're not going to look out for you. I'll tell you this story. Oh. This is, you'll laugh at this. So I had, I, I, I won't name the company, but I, anyways, I had a credit card. I was probably, I guess I was 19, 20. And they sent me a second credit card by accident. So now I have two, because I'm like, oh, wait, there's the this credit card. And then there was another one they sent in the mail. So I called them up. And I said, hey, there's a second credit card you send me. I don't know if that, that was done with air. I just wanted to cancel that. They're like, oh, no big deal. I'll tell you what, we can just uh, combine the credit. We'll just double the credit that you have. So now I had more, <laughs> I had more like, money I could spend on the credit card. Sure enough, I guess kept spending, you know, so. And then people think that that wasn't an income increase, right? You thought, think about that. You thought, yeah. oh my gosh, my income just increased because now I can go spend more. Right. And again, I, right? was, I was young and That's dumb. That's not income. Yeah. That is not income. Yeah. Right. But it's not about being dumb. It's about, you, you made a comment earlier, Brian. It's people, we're not taught this. Yeah. Nobody's taught this in high school. I mean, they are trying to. Because my youngest daughter took some finance classes this year and she kept texting me, what about this? What about this? What do, you know, it was really cute. So they are trying, but it's the basics that they, you know, that they need about how money works. Because either we're, we all have income or we're going to have income coming in. You're either going to pay interest and make the bank or the credit cards company rich, or you're going to earn the interest and that money is going to work harder for you than you did for your income. Mm -hmm. That's the choice. That's what it comes down to. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be $50,000 in debt or do you want to have $50,000 in your pocket five, 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. And we all know what the answer is. We just need the behavior to to march forward in that, that, that 50,000 plus for me arena. Well, that's a great point to uh, maybe wrap up on. Um, any other thing, anything else you want to share with uh, me or audience, anything on your mind? It's... Yeah, I would just say, you know, again, the, 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 the basics to financial success is in earning income and not everyone's going to be able to earn high multi six figures and seven figures a year, which is okay. But what I want to tell your audience and what I want to tell people in my live wealthy book and what I want to tell people in my digital courses is that align your income to who you are as a human being. And it's not necessarily about the amount of income you're earning. It's about using your income to maximize your life in the best possible way. So align your strengths, what you're really good at, because when you, when you align your strengths with your income, you're going to make, you're going to potentially, and nine out of 10 times or 10 out of 10 times, you're going to make more money. 
and align your strengths with your income and understand that when you're playing at the maximum income you possibly can, then it's about figuring out how to minimize your taxes and how do you really have your income work hard for you? Because you work hard for it. We want our income to work equally hard for us. Oh, that's great. This has been a, a pleasure. Uh, where can everyone get the book? Is it an Amazon, Barnes and Nobles? What's, where's the spots? All yep, over? it's it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. But I would I would encourage people to go to my website because we always, if you're going to buy it through the link on our website, you're going to get access to free courses, oh, free nice. the core values exercise. There's so much free material because I do have a a huge passion of helping people that don't have the millions yet become the millionaires. And so the website is dawndelby.com. Awesome. Well, we'll tell everyone to go there, put it in the show notes. Um, Dawn, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun and uh, I appreciate you being on. And that's how it should be. And it was fun to talk with you too, Brian. And thank you for allowing me to educate your tribe as well. Hey everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianandraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.